It is Thursday, the 31st of October, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today will the upcoming December general election in the UK finally solve Brexit. The thing about this election is that there's still a kaleidoscope of possibilities about what could happen next. I mean, it is so dizzying, you just need to sort of bash your head against a wall every so often. The good thing about the election is that we actually do get a pathway out of this because Parliament has been gridlocked. Also ahead, how Russia and Serbia are supporting each other, why Japan will have to react to climate change and why the market for smart children's magazines is growing. I am Markus Hippie in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. The UK will head to the polls in December for the first time in almost a century. The Conservative Party hopes the snap contest will provide them with a parliamentary majority and a clear mandate to push ahead with Brexit. But opposition leaders say that the election is an opportunity for a fresh start. Broadcaster and journalist Joy Lodico has been following Brexit developments carefully. Joy, how is Brussels viewing the upcoming December general election in the UK. I think with possibly another deep sigh, but I hope that it will finally resolve a question that's been dogging them as much as the UK for the last three years. They granted an extension to us. I understand Macron softened his line against it because they thought an election was going to come up and therefore there would be some pathways to a resolution. However, they are a new commission has been appointed. It's a new phase of the EU and they would quite like to get on with budget negotiations, conversations with themselves. And I think they would rather this had all been sealed on October the 31st. Now, will this election help solve Brexit? The thing about this election is that there's still a kaleidoscope of possibilities about what could happen next. Judging by the polls at the moment, it looks like Boris Johnson will win and win a majority. Many things can go wrong in the next five weeks. That majority would mean that he could bring his withdrawal deal back into Parliament, get it signed off quite quickly. And then at that point, it goes to the European Parliament, gets signed off, and we start talking about the future relationship. Now, that's complicated in itself, because the future relationship, as Boris Johnson has stated in the political declaration, is to have essentially a free trading slightly, Singapore on Thames might be an exaggeration, a divergence from the EU on a number of matters. He is also in some ways relying on a, a kind of this wide-ranging free trade agreement. The French do not like the idea that they're going to have on their, literally as a neighbour just across the channel, the United Kingdom, which is no longer on the same, running on the same rules as them and therefore can be undercutting them. So there will be huge French resistance to too much divergence, to Boris Johnson asking for too much in that trade agreement. So that is not straightforward. The negotiations themselves are going to take years. So if you think this has been a mess, wait till you get to that. And you also at that point need to start watching what happens between the UK and the US because any trade deal that goes on there will see the US wanting to take slabs of our markets in things like agricultural goods and in particular in pharmaceuticals selling to the NHS. That's the if Boris wins. If Labour wins, we end up with a different problem. Labour may end up in some sort of coalition. They will go back to the EU and they will say, look, we've got our own version of a Brexit deal, which is level playing field, close alignment, customs union. And the EU 27 at that point will say, hang on a second. We gave Theresa May a customs union and you voted against it. Why should we reopen the withdrawal agreement, which we said we won't, in order to do this all over again? Now, I think that will be the initial position. Keir Starmer, who is the 
the UK's shadow Brexit secretary for Labour, in fact, has done a lot of kind of friendly groundwork with the EU27, and I imagine they may well think about reopening it. But the next kaleidoscope opening is that there is also very likely to be another referendum where, although Labour is proposing a version of Brexit, it will also offer the option of remaining. So you then get into the question of, shall we have another extension? I mean, it is so dizzying. You just need to sort of bash your head against a wall every so often. The good thing about the election is that we actually do get a pathway out of this because Parliament has been gridlocked. Nothing is moving through us at the moment. Joy Ladika, thank you very much. Some of Russia's most advanced missile systems have just made their first appearance at military exercises outside their home country. They were deployed during the Slavic Shield event in Serbia to demonstrate the strength of Russia's air defences. Belgrade has also bought some of the missiles. It is the latest evidence that Serbia is maintaining its close relations with Russia while simultaneously going through the accession process to join the European Union. Monaco's Guy Deloni tells us more about the relationship between the two countries and the significance of an exercise such as this. Russia and Serbia have done numerous military exercises together over the years, sometimes in Serbia, sometimes in Russia, sometimes in, in, in other places too. And they do tend to come up with these snappy names which do tap in to the mythology of this Slavic Orthodox Brotherhood. I think, you know, you could probably get a random name generator for these sort of events. It's a show of strength and it's a show that, you know, Russia's in the game in the Western Balkans. It likes to push the buttons of the Euro-Atlantic Alliance does Moscow. And they know that quite a large proportion of the Euro-Atlantic Alliance would like to see Serbia firmly ensconced, not just in the European Union, but quite probably in NATO as well, although that would really be pushing sentiment in Serbia. Serbia knows exactly what side its bread is buttered, but it does constantly want to remind the European Union, the the Euro-Atlantic Alliance, that it's got other options. And it's got some quite strong other options at the moment. It's got Russia, of course, but it's also got China, which has invested large amounts of money in Serbia in the past few years, buying up the steelworks, the tin works. It's building the railway between Belgrade and Budapest. It's opened investment banks. It's very serious investment. And Turkey is also increasingly in the game in the Western Balkans as well. So I think it's, it serves Serbia, frankly, very well to remind the European Union that it, it isn't the only game in town. And when Emmanuel Macron is playing silly beggars with regards to opening accession talks with Western Balkan countries such as North Macedonia, Macedonia and Albania, when it's sending out those sort of negative signals, Serbia is saying, we've got other options. And just to back that up, not just with the the military alliances, well, military cooperation, shall we call it, because Serbia is militarily neutral. It's also signed up economically a free trade agreement with the Eurasian Economic Union, which is the Russia-led five-country ex-Soviet sort of free trade bloc. So Serbia's in that, got a free trade agreement there as well now. So it's definitely keeping, uh, you know, all its options open. Monaco's Balkans correspondent Guy Delaunay there. Next to Japan, a country that is feeling the impact of climate change. Japan is adding up the cost of Typhoon Hagabus, which struck the country two weeks ago. Damage to farming alone is already over 100 billion yen, a figure that will rise once prefectures can properly assess the damage. 
Self-Defence Forces reserves have been called on for the first time since the 2011 earthquake and tsunami to help with the disaster relief mission. Fixing roads and removing piles of debris, working alongside 31,000 personnel. Authorities are warning that increased rainfall caused by global warming will be a regular event. Japan's meteorological agency says torrential rains have increased 40% compared to 30 years ago. The Japanese government is discussing new flood prevention plans as a result. Looks like Japan will have to prepare for what is becoming an annual occurrence. And finally today, Monaco's culture Sekiera Rimella has good news from the print industry. Who said the next generation is no longer interested in print? Italian magazine Internazionale, a wonderful weekly title that collects and translates the best stories from the international press, is moving ahead with a title aimed only at younger readers. Following a couple of trial specials, Internazionale Kids launched in its monthly incarnation this October and its second issue is on newsstands now. Other countries have already woken up to the potential of smart kids' mags. In Germany, both Süddeutsche Zeitung and Die Zeit have their own nippers versions in the form of their Kinder, Weekend Insert and Leo, respectively. Internationale Kids, like its grown-up parent, syndicates stories from other publications. It can only exist thanks to this transnational network of excellent childhood titles. What's better, this new generation of mags doesn't talk down to the young uns, and it doesn't try to catch their attention with plastic toys. Pick up the latest copy and you'll be pleased to find that what's setting the agenda in our children's world is quite the same as in news weeklies for grown-ups. There's everything from climate change to the Hong Kong-Beijing standoff. The readers of the future are much more clued up than we think. Monocle's culture editor Chiara Rimella there. That's all in today's programme. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I am Marcus Hippi. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday. <laughs>